When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Egg Chasers. It's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously, and we are back here. Welcome. The Rugby Dungeon has been turned into a rugby boardroom Indeed as we try and solve all of the off-field issues going on in the game this last week. We're all wearing blazers right now. I like your blazer, Tim. Thank you very much. I've, I've gone for the, the die young, go, you know, go all out or go home. Exactly. Full number ones. I tell you what else is a very well-dressed man for rugby. Alan Solomons. Ah, okay. He's always in a blaze. Always got a pin badge on. I like that. Yeah, home and away. It's some like Die Young is different away from home to home. When he's at home, he's in full shirt, tie, sometimes waistcoat. Mm. Beautiful, looking excellent, looking good. I haven't got the guts to ask him. I, I want to know what what size chest is that jacket? <laughs> ask him. You'll probably appreciate it. Sixty inches, maybe more. It's really he's. <laughs> He's an unbelievable specimen of a man. Try to think of um, Alan Solomon's always wears home and away. He'll wear that that nice tweed. Yeah. So I'm trying to think. Like a lot of coaches dress as if they're PE teachers, don't they? So like Dimes is always in tracksuit pretty yeah. much for yeah. match day. Uh, Joe, Joe, Joe Schmidt, Jordan Murphy, Joe Schmidt, Mark McCall. Yeah. Yeah. It isn't. I guess it's one of those things. Like it's kind of like working from home. Like you just get into your shorts and that's it. And, what, is, what does Chris Boyd wear? I can't remember. I don't know. Normally tracksuit, I think. You yeah, think? I often think of him in, in being in like a hoodie. I tell you who doesn't wear yeah, a tracksuit. Yeah, you might be right, actually, yeah. I tell you who doesn't wear a tracksuit. Uh, David Humphreys. No. Yeah. I'm pretty sure well, David yeah, Humphreys he, always be in a suit. He's now in the more corporate role, isn't he? Yeah. In the DRR role compared to Ackerman, who's always in the tracksuit. tracksuit. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But Ackerman is the most... Ackerman gets involved in the warm-ups more than any other coach yeah, him, really? him, him and that. Todd Blackadder actually are both like running getting out in and amongst it they love it you can see they're just desperate to get involved <laughs> yeah, yeah someone so, goes down they're thinking do I lace up do I <laughs> right so, so one, one just on the DOR thing um, two DORs or two head coaches both use the same phrase this weekend it's an unusual phrase let the boys play not let the boys play it was they pulled our pants down Oh right! Can you yeah. tell me which two? Um, and uh, they've worked with each other as a clue. It will be okay. So it will be it will be the Saracens, the Paul Gustard, Gustard, Alex Sanderson. Yeah. No, not Sanderson. It was Gustard and Eddie Jones. Ah, Eddie Jones referencing the last time they played Scotland. 
He said they pulled off Amstel. Yeah, I just thought my. it was a weird turn of phrase for them yeah, both right. to use it on the same weekend. Turn, turn of phrase. Turn of turn of phrase I've not heard for. Thank God it's died. It lasted one week. Resourcing the ball. <laughs> uh, Quinn's Gloucester. And, uh, resourcing the ball did not come up once. Thank God. Thank God that's over before we even started. Right, agenda for this meeting, gentlemen, in this in the boardroom is one world world league announcement from World Rugby. Two is salary cap. Three is drinking in stadiums. And four is any other business. Yes, good. So one, World League from World Rugby. So there was the quote-unquote leaked yeah. uh, leaked plan, which, um, as everyone knows by now, was no promotion relegation for some 10 years, excluded Fiji, but included uh, USA. J- Japan and USA. I just, I get the whiff. And then a few days later, World Rugby have released what their actual plan is. I don't see, and a lot of people leapt to the conclusion that World Rugby had hastily arranged something which, to, to, as, a, as a PR exercise, I don't know how you can come up with the plan that they have come up with hastily. They've been working on it for years. Well, not years, so they, a year, months. So they actually say in their statement that their plan was the one that was tabled to the CEOs of the individual unions in September 2018. So it has been a significant period of time before that this has been prepared. Which which says to me there's been potentially some, like, there's something that must leave a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth with the way that that leak came out. Because basically and what I'm inferring from that is that leak was never uh, never got to a point where they were actually seriously giving it to the nations as this is what we want to do exactly it was a mili- it was malicious it was there to damage world rugby and that's what whoever whoever did this that's what they intended to do and they success they successfully did it and they did and the amount of blowback that that world rugby received as a result yeah and it's amazing because they make world rugby look out look like some sort of pariah and they're far from that you know they're one of the greatest greatest forces for good in the international game, and they do gen- genuinely care. They are trying to get the lower nations rising as high as they can, more competitive games. That's why we've had so many changes in coaching structures and you know fixtures and summer tours where, sorry, autumn tours where you know you've got to play at least one game against an emerging nation. So you know, I thought it was a very unfair characterization of what World Rugby are trying to do. And what I would add to that is, in terms of relegation promotion. World Rugby have absolutely no control over that because that is going to be at the mercy of the stakeholders, which are the nations, which ultimately, and it's rumoured, Italy and Scotland. I've, I think I've jumped ahead, actually. We should very briefly explain for anyone that hasn't seen, go on, Phil, what World Rugby have actually proposed. So it's similar. It certainly follows the same format as the original leak, but there are a few key differences. First of all, the um, International Rugby Player Council who leaked it initially, said that there would be no promotion or relegation. The format that World Rugby have tabled would have promotion and relegation. So it would have two tiers, two tournaments of 12 teams each. Each team plays the other, so plays 11 games, uh, home or away, across the full year with the Six Nations and Tier 2 Six Nations and ARC and Rugby Championship games counting towards that. With with that, 
that does mean with the semi-final and final, that does mean there is an increase in the number of games international sides play. Pot- potentially, but it depends which fixture list you take. Because I've seen some, like Argentina a couple of years ago played 18 games in a season. This would take it to, to 13 games, which for some teams, maximum some years... Of 13 games. Yeah, sorry, a maximum of 13 games, which for some teams for some years would be an increase. It would also, in the the potential version, which is one of the things that um, the International Rule Players Council flagged, it could lead to five back-to-back-to-back-to-back games in autumn, yeah. which currently no schedule has five international caliber games running so back to back. It's still not perfect. Um I'm interested in what you think about the the suggestion that there is a an up and down mechanism between the leagues uh, via a playoff. So in the Six Nations case, say this season let's say Italy finished bottom would would play off against the top team in the Rugby Europe Championship which I think's Georgia. Yeah. And they would play off to Now you were dead against this JB. Yes, like, so I, I still am. Yeah. So I don't on one hand, I give them credit for thinking about this sort of structure. How do you get more competitive games to more nations? Good. Okay, I like it. The problem is they've just sort of moved the problem a bit. So you've got 12, two lots of 12-team leagues, or four lots, whichever way you want to you know, dice it up. But what happens if there's another team outside of that that, that, well, that, that wants to come in? That, that's, in, that's included. No, it's it, not. It does. It is. It goes down lower than that. Oh, I've not seen... Yeah. Look, there, there, are, there are smaller conferences... At the third tier level, ah, I wasn't aware. Of that. So, so it goes top to bottom. I think every team in world rugby is included in this pyramid, right? So, I mean, I'm still my original opinion though that I like smaller conferences. And when I say conferences, I don't mean like this formal structure. I like the formality of a Six Nations or a Rugby Championship or Rugby Championship Europe competition, whatever that thing's called. The Tier Two Six Nations, for want of a, of a better word. I like that. That's what I like because you can build your own rivalries. I've been over it a million times but, before. But I like it. That's that doesn't match with what you just said, which is what I don't like. That what about other clubs that want to get into that? Well, you, yeah, you can't. You can't. Well, well, so you can't, yeah, you build, can't. you can't build those rivalries between Georgia, Romania, Spain, Belgium, whoever's Germany. Uh, if you if then if you, if you exclude everyone well, else, okay. So, so how does that work? What I think this actually is is a good model to solve. Um, to solve all of that. No, no, because you're missing out a few things there. So they still have their competitions. So you can't get promoted or relegated from the Six Nations. That's always going to stay. The Six Nations games just count towards what whatever you're doing. What I was saying is I like the mix of informal and informal. So you have the guys in the Tier 2 Six Nations and they stay as they are. If you want to get another competition on top of that, well, that stays, stays as that is. So, so what a Lithuania... Right, let's say... And then you have the informal... Lithu- Lithuania, Lithuania elect a... Uh, um, a president who's a massive rugby fan and channels loads of national money into into rugby yeah. because he wants to make them a rugby superpower in twenty years' time. Cool. Oh, you can't because you can't you can't join one of the conferences. You, 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 yeah, you can so long as you carry on playing with Croatia and uh, and uh, Poland. Look, I'm, Poland. I'm, I'm kind of happy for like some natural realignment to go on. I just don't think it's always necessarily the best way. We looked at Italy again this this week who got battered against like 14 of the last 26 nations or whatever it is they've they've come last now my point would be that just by putting a team in the company of better competition does not necessarily lead to lead to an improvement i think we should look at italy and think maybe this isn't the best road for georgia or any other emerging nation 
Well, I think you're. Maybe. I think you're, I think you're not. Yeah, I think you're not thinking big enough because, as I said, what incentive is there in the current model for funding to be seriously delivered in potential future star rugby nations like Poland? Or Lithuania. What is the... What, what's the incentive? What's the, what is the incentive? I don't think there's any incentive, is there, other than the charity of World Rugby, which is exactly what happens at the moment. Well, well so in the, in the UK right now, if your sport is not Olympic sport, you do not get central funding. No, you don't. So you, it has to, the, the aspiration to be the best in the world, as measured by the top of the tree, which is the Olympic Games, it, it directly affects the funding that you get. And it's the same in rugby. Is it? Yeah. Why? Because that's just the, how they make it. So rowing, yes, we will give you money as a rower because you could potentially win an Olympic medal. And if there's any... I'd, I'm I, sorry, I don't really follow along on that because I actually thought that the funding... Unless I'm wrong, I thought the funding for the big nations comes from the big tournaments. So, and actually no, it doesn't really matter if you're an emerging nation because you'll get your funding from World, no, from world, rug, you mis- from world Rugby. You misunderstand my point. Germ- um, Germany have, have come through as a as an emerging nation because of private funding yeah right that that sort of thing would be more like so what you're saying that sort of thing sorry, would be more likely to happen if you. there is the so, aspiration yeah. of so what you're saying elite is, performance yeah, if they're doing really well in say lithuania where is the incentive for that private money to come in if you're not going to make the six nations yeah yeah or, 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 yeah, or, go, or government money whatever it is yeah i yeah i i i, I, I see that in its in its in its entirety um but i still go back to the fact that i think you know the incentive should be incremental so like every time that georgia get a bit better i'd like to see that be reflected in uh spain and it has and be reflected in germany which actually has and same with romania so every time one of them gets a little bit better they all get a little bit better rather than just take one of them out of the comfort zone put them straight in six nations like georgia and watch them get thumped for the next well, 20 years what would be the difference between a year of georgia in the six nations and a year of italy in the six nations absolutely nothing and exactly that's the problem well so, so what? We'll get rid of Italy altogether. Go five nations then. I do wonder if that might be an option. I mean, it might be better for their rugby to be competitive and then you know in, increase. If they if Italy spent every year outside of the Six Nations those last twenty years getting five percent better each and every year, they would be a genuine tier one nation. At the moment, they're sort of like tier tier one A. You know, they're not quite okay. tier one. They're not quite. Uh, tier this tier this yeah, feels like it's gone down a down a down a rabbit hole where we're. We're going back. Let's let's talk about World Rugby's proposals. I, I I think it's the most together suggestion that they that they it could is have come up with. Definitely the best suggestion that I have seen. It's not what I would do, but it's you know it ticks a lot of it's, boxes, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's it's a very very difficult problem to solve. As in, you're trying to solve multiple problems at the same time because yeah. you're trying to solve the the global game structure. You're trying to solve the uh, player welfare teams playing too much you're trying to solve getting smaller teams opportunity to compete against the bigger teams but not too much opportunity and not disproportionate you're trying to create more games between the bigger nations that mean more so that it's not a England playing South Africa four times in a row with nothing on the line kind of game so you're trying to solve all of that in one solution and this it's not perfect right but it it, it seems like a, a definitely good a better attempt, attempt than I've seen previously. Yeah, yes. yeah, and and I think actually we we've maybe just slightly got bogged down in in the existing rugby fan bubble. Like which we are, is which, which is well, no, just is we're thinking about this as people that are already invested in the game, rather than Ru- 
potentially new any markets. potential rugby fan who isn't mm. into rugby understands the structure of sport, whether it be conferences, leagues, um, a, a sort of pyramid. Everybody understands that concept. And I think what we need to remember is, and if you're listening to this right now as well, there's every chance you are just like us, already invested and would watch Come What May. But that's not the case for other sports. That's not the case for broadcasters of other countries. That's not the case for sponsors who aren't already invested in the game as well. And you suddenly create a structure where there is merit, there is a pyramid, there is something tangible on the line, I know that the argument loads of rugby fans give is, well, every, I've never watched an autumn international that's a friendly, that's actually friendly. Mm. Yes, but you're thinking of someone who's already a rugby fan. Yeah. Think about someone in in Atlanta in America who, who hasn't watched the game before and could be a fan or someone in Poland who could watch rugby. When there's a structure that, that they get, that brings in people, that brings in broadcasters, that brings in sponsors, and that's what we want. And I think it's really narrow-minded to try and be protectionist about rugby because it's a small sport and we sh- and, um, the values that rugby brings, we should want to spread as far and wide as possible. Yeah. I mean, the irony of this is, of course, if you're a football fan, you look over to rugby and say, we, you know, I really wish that we had a Six Nations. <laughs> and they've got a really... Me- like, well, they've sorted out the... Na- they've got a Nations Cup the Nations now, haven't Cup. they? Yeah. yeah well, you know, it's not, done over it's two not years. Quite yeah. Six Nations. But, yeah, okay. But, you know, that's where that's come from, is this longing for what we have. I mean, I think everyone has that longing. It's, a, it's one of the great sports tournaments, you know, in the world, frankly. Oh, so. It is, but it's how do you get that to more people? Yeah. And this, this, that, that is another big question that, that World Rugby are trying to answer by doing this. I, I think if you want things to stay as they are, I I question how much of a rugby fan you really are. Oh, well, I do want it to stay the way it is. I, I, I genuinely think it is. You a don't. Well, yeah. Well, and what I mean by that is, you don't want, you don't want players or fans or potential patrons or businessmen or sponsors in countries that aren't already where they are to 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 have an incentive or any reason to get involved. No, I just think I'm mean, going to go over the same ground. I just think it is not based. It's like the pro, you know, look at what the Pro 14's going through. Or look what Super Rugby went through. Just by broadening out your tent and getting all these new teams in who don't have a history and you're making up, I don't know, the bloody East, the, you know, the East Queensland Wildcats, you know, and, you, you know starting, start, start, starting from scratch and they've got no, they've got no history. No, nobody cares. But if it grows organically through, you know, a rivalry between, you know, Spain and Portugal should have a cracking rivalry, or, you know, Russia, Georgia, I think that's how it builds. It builds gradually and slowly. It can't be like this big bang. It'd be like trying to put an NFL team in the UK with UK players only and playing in the NFL. It would just not work. So I, I don't I don't think it's possible. But, but yeah, okay, fine. So or, yeah. It, it is interesting because I think, so in order for the funding, you, Something different has to be done. To solve all those problems, I said, I won't go over them, but to solve all those problems, something different has to be done. Um, and this is an attempt to do something different. I, I'm probably more with you, Tim, where I think this is this is a probably sensible, albeit not perfect, attempt to do something different. I think that I would actually be concerned. Not really, but I think it could have the opposite effect and it could actually end up turning off some of the existing fans and not bringing in those new fans which is probably what you're kind of alluding to with mm. the super rugby thing Jay 
with yeah. half empty stadiums or fully empty stadiums. Yeah, I mean, Sunwolves doesn't seem to me to have really risen the profile of rugby too much in those in the countries where it operates. Hey, they beat uh, beat the Chiefs. Yeah. Well, but hold on, if there's no more or less rugby, if that is the case, there's no more or less rugby because the problem with Super Rugby is there's way more rugby than it can actually. I'm not saying I'm right, by the way. I'm just yeah. saying this is this is what I this is what I suspect. Yeah. Um, and I tell you the other thing, which we haven't really, no one's discussed, is where do you get the players from? Because you know, England, everyone talks about the academies. It's not really the academies that provide you know the bulk of the expertise at schoolboy level. It's these private schools, which are basically factories of coaching. You know, the likes of which nobody else has. Ireland has the same thing, a lot less so in Scotland. There's disadvantages of you know Wales has its club game, but like not even you know France can't compete with. The, you know the English uh, schools; they can't compete with um, the Irish schools. God knows how Romania would do it, or you know Madagascar or someone. Maybe have a structure which incentivizes more cash being injected into, how do you get into programs. To play it? I think that's the question: is that how do you get kids to play it? Because you need to be good as a kid. You need these players coming through at eighteen, nearly ready to play Premiership rug- Premiership rugby. May- maybe have broadcasters who go oh right so hold on if so if georgia if we win this league we might go up to the we could we have a playoff for, to get into the top tier and play against all the massive sides all right yeah yeah we'll put that on prime yeah, time I, yeah i think world rugby would love that i think you know i just don't think that uh, it'd make enough money so that that's i i've still not changed my uh, my opinion on the structures but yeah you know, i do appreciate what world rugby have done i think it's a really good idea i think it's a healthy idea uh, what was interesting was to see conor o'Shea Mm. endorse it because what was spoken about was that the stakeholders were the the ones that were going to be the gatekeepers here it's, it's not actually world rugby decision <laughs> to decide or or go with it they can only suggest it and uh, the six nations stakeholders namely italy and scotland were thought to be the barriers and italy might have written themselves off as being one of the barriers they might be or embracing certainly, it certainly yeah. conor o'shea and i i actually think having lost was it 21 six nation games on the bounce for italy i think a couple of seasons of actually winning 80 plus percent of your games would do a world of good for <gasps> yeah, that Italy but it's team. not going to do any good for the team coming would, up it's going to be like the guys coming from the championship yeah the would, would Scotland do it would, no do they, they Scotland will sign up for it not only, not only no uh, uh, A no B no yeah. uh, and C <laughs> I don't think I don't think it's going to help and, and also last one if Conor O'Shea's lasting legacy right is because he's a good bloke and he believes in fairness and so on and so forth, he removes Italy from the Six Nations. They never get back there. Well, no. I, what I thought when I saw Conor O'Shea, that was like, that is so Conor O'Shea. Because with Italy, he is embarking on a long-term vision. He, mm. hasn't, he hasn't made decisions which will benefit him in the short term. He is making decisions which he thinks and he believes there's a blueprint to bring up the quality of the Italy team in the longer term, and I think when he t- talked about the World Rugby plans, he is seeing the bigger picture longer term, not making short-term decisions, which is what, if Scotland refuse it, I believe Scotland will be doing that to the detriment of everybody. Oh, so I hope you so, so Scotland, take a lead from Conor O'Shea and, uh, and go with it. Uh, the, only, the only other thing with the, the World Rugby um, proposal that's probably worth mentioning is what happens in a Lions year and a World Cup year. In a World Cup year, it doesn't happen. In a Lions year... It still happens, but there's no promotion or relegation. Ah, so I I was reading it that it would only happen in non-Lions and non-World Cup years. No. 
Okay. It will still happen in a Lions year, but there'll be no promotion relegation. Right. Which I th- I would have liked, being as that's in between World Cup years, that's the halfway point, I would like to propose something to World Rugby that that one, you don't do the same league structure and you actually have a bit more effort to play teams that you wouldn't normally play against in the in the top 12 and middle 12. You have chuck in a yeah. couple more cross... Yeah. Cross tier games because that's one of my concerns. That it's, so two tiers of twelve. Let's let's just say there are ten tier one nations. Uh, Scotland or maybe a tier one A or one B or whatever you want to call. Sorry, Italy a tier one A one B. Um, so there'd be two non tier one nations in the top who would play every single one. So they get so you yeah. get two teams who get loads of exposure to the, the big teams. Everyone else gets no exposure to the yeah. big teams other than in World Cup. Yeah. So it's it actually exacerbates a problem that already exists in rugby for some teams and makes it teams. much better for a couple of lucky yeah. ones or unlucky ones, depending on how you, how you view it. Yeah, so that's what I thought the Lions year could be an effort, yeah. an effort to kind of reach out there. That's that. If it's going to happen, that would be a, a sensible option. Watch this space. We'll see. Agenda one, still, there's still lack of, you know, there's still... Kick it into the long grass. We'll yeah. deal with it next meeting. Exactly. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, what, what have they been calling it? Kick the can down the road. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, take it right up to the wire with a deadline. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, now, uh, agenda point two, salary cap. Yeah, okay. So, so, so there's a the mail, Daily Mail uh, had a story last week, last week, which... You say they had a story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they printed an article. They, they published, printed an article. Published they, an article. They, printed, they printed an expose on the salary cap, and yeah. namely Saracens and Nigel Ray's business arrangements with some of his players. Yeah. So I mean, some might say they did a, a month-long expose others might say they listened to our podcast and spent one pound fifty on a company's house search i don't know okay <laughs> i don't know but that's what some might say uh so nothing particularly explosive here so i i've i've been around and uh, we're not going to go over the salary cap rules we're going to do any no no there's a whole else. podcast dedicated to the salary yeah. cap go back in our feed and listen to it i so, think it was one of our best podcasts actually yeah. so go so and everything listen. i'm about to tell you now is completely new okay you've not heard any of this before um what I did is, I, I kind of listened to what the Daily Mail was saying. And basically they were saying that uh, Saracen set up companies. Now we mentioned co- companies, but we did not mention property companies. 
and the uh, the uh, yeah we mentioned how proactive Saracens yes. were at setting up at helping players set up businesses yeah so now there's a bunch of companies and they're called very imaginative things like Farrell Investments and stuff like that. Faz, Faz Investments, Voonprop. Yeah. Voonprop, yeah. Wiggy Nine Investments. Yeah, so, I, you know, these are not super secret. You know, if you think you've got the smoking gun because you've <laughs> un, 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 you know, unveiled these, not so much. But it did lead me down some rabbit holes. So I spoke to a couple of people in the game who, uh, you know, are very senior in clubs. Don't mind say, saying that. And basically what I've come to is... I think all the clubs are squeaky clean. That might that might shock you. Well, in well, and and to go back to the podcast we did previously, there were lots of things that we covered, a lot of ground we covered in that, which showed that the regulations since the previous salary cap issues, maybe five years ago, were very Correct. very much tightened up, yeah. and there's a lot of scrutiny on it. The clubs themselves, the entity of the club, Sale Sharks Limited, Saracens Limited, whoever it is. You're not going to find any issues there. You're also not going to find any issues with a company set up called Farrell Investments. Faz, it, Faz Investments. Yeah, it would be stupid. But that is not to say there is not underhand stuff going on. It's just that I can't prove it. Uh, this is just hearsay. So we've all heard the, hear, uh, the hearsay previously about, you know, Rolex watches, which again is a magnificent way to do it because you get around all sorts of money laundering regs and so on, so on, so on, so forth. Farm, farmland in South farmland Africa. Farmland in South Africa, yeah. Uh, Houses. You know, shop, um, Shopping vouchers to wives, houses, you name it, it's been said. There's a few things. So if you wanted to be super sneaky, the way you get around the cap is between the owner and the player. And the owner would have to set up an offshore company himself. He would then have to transfer wealth from one of his existing companies to the offshore company. And then the offshore company would transfer that to the player. That would work. And you could not prove it because... Premier Rugby has no jurisdiction to look at either what owners are doing or what players are doing. So, yeah, so and they shouldn't sign. Th- this is your bread and butter. You're you're a financial yeah. advisor. Um, obviously, you're very very scrupulous. Yes, and in, have a lot of integrity in what you do. Uh, so, just f- for argument's sake, so this wouldn't be allowed, and this would surely show up if if Nigel Ray said to me, Tim, uh, let's set up a property company. Uh, with fifty percent shareholders, oh. putting a quid each, and uh, and we look and you can we can acquire fifty percent shares, and then he purchases a house in Harpenden for a million pounds, and at some point down the road, several years later, we liquidate the company, sell the house, and I take away half a million well, quid. <laughs> I couldn't do that. Well, you, I don't know is the answer. That, I've just given you the outline. Okay, that that offshore yeah. route would be absolutely fine. That that would be dead easy to do for uh, you know the currency practice. Fine, done. It is cheating. You get caught. You're done. What about if this was? What about if the, what I just said was in UK? Okay. In UK, you just need to go back a step. Particularly with Saracens, I have no proof that this is what they're doing. Zero. But this is what I believe that they could do, and I think it's smart. If you think about the players they have, who they want to keep, they are all long term players. They all qualify for marquee status. So you're so, talking the Vunipolas, Owen Farrell, Mario Toji, Jamie George. Yeah. They can only have uh, two marquee players. Yes, they can. Two at any one time. So if you then had someone... So this, who, is, you, this is you brainstorming what you would do uh, if you owned Saracens. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, speaking widely. But you could potentially do this. You could turn the salary cap or the marquee player into... A mechanism that doesn't just give money away. 
So if you're my more key player, I can give you as much money as I want. I submit that to PwC. They tick the box. Away you go. It doesn't matter. It could be six million quid. doesn't matter. You'd be, you'd be mad, but you could do it. Instead of doing that, you turn the marquee player into a mechanism that keeps the player in there. If I had a property company in the UK, a completely legitimate one, I would say, in this year, I am going to make you, Tim, a co-director of my property company, which is going to cost me a million quid. You say, okay, off we go. We submit that as a benefit in kind to PwC. They sign it off because, of course, it's just... You just look at the value of that. It doesn't matter. You're the marquee player. But I've retained shares in it, which means I retain control over the company or some of the company and, of course, of you. So in that year, I can get, I can pay you in that company. But going forward, because I have control, I'll also have influence over what you're doing. So this year I can do you, Tim. Next year I'll do you, Phil. The year after that we'll do someone else. The year after that we'll do someone else. So it's perfectly reasonable that Saracens could have done this. I mean, there's no reason why they couldn't, and it would be completely in the law. And is there, and is there any? And is there an if? And this is you're purely speculating as a financial advisor yeah. the mechanisms which they might be able to do that. Like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> well, it, it's very inventive if if that's what they are but, doing. Um, but what's wrong with that? Because they, they could just have paid in the what's wrong as with, a marquee player. Yeah. They could just have paid it's, a big pile of cash. There's nothing. A wrong. huge briefcase with five million quid in. Well, you wouldn't even need to do that. It could be no. perfectly legal. No, that's yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's they could do that anyway. And now the problem is with it, of course, that everyone else hasn't thought of it, so it's unfair. But it's not unfair because it's within the it's, yeah. it's well above board within exactly. the rules. And and going back to a, in a lot of these cases, um, what is looking after a player's long term post playing career mm-hmm. by enabling them to have. Uh, help helping them with businesses or or whatever, as we've already said, is yeah. uh, and okay. what what a great what what a great thing to do for a player's future. Exactly, and I think other club owners get annoyed about this because from their point of view, they're thinking, why can't I afford this damn player? You know, this player from Australia wants so much money when actually an equivalent player who's English can go to Saracens for less. And there are legitimate reasons. So, you know, the actual network of the Saracens community has an intrinsic value to a player who is English who might want to settle in such a lovely part of the world. Whereas if I'm an Australian coming over, it's just cash. The only benefit I can give you is cash. Actually, mm. coming to what? I can live yeah. in London and it's going to cost me how much? Actually, yeah. no, I'll come to say, I'll come to sale because Manchester's a bit cheaper. Mm. Exactly. I can take more back to South Africa when I go back there in three years. There's another thing that Saracens do as well, which I can confirm it's been widely reported and this is fascinating. When you join Saracens, you, you fire your agent. Are you aware of that? I, is this, I wasn't aware is of this, that. Is this fact? Okay. Yes, this is fact. Okay, so well, in every case, what are you saying? In some yeah, cases, pretty much right. So there's three ways to pay an agent. How, how do you how do you, how do you know this? I mean, I know there was uh, some talk this, about this, it. In, this, this was in the mail article. Uh, no, this is uh, Owen Owen Slot has reported it in the Times. Oh yeah, this started happening under Ed Griffith. Just checking your work in. And, and on this, this is really interesting. An agent will cost you somewhere between five to ten percent. And there's three ways that you pay an agent. Okay, number one is I pay the agent as the player. I pay it out of my pocket. Don't really want to do that. Particularly when I when I work out I'm paying him thirty five thousand pounds a year on my three hundred and fifty well more than that actually because it could be in the seventeen percent bracket yeah. so uh, it goes up seventeen but it could be fifteen ten five yeah. so ten percent thirty five thousand that's a lot of change to find so instead the club will, will pay that on your behalf 
Well, it matters because it goes against the goes against the cap. You yep. don't have to pay income tax on it, but fine. And also, so does the VAT. You remember that wasps got caught with that. Yeah, those are the first two ways to pay an agent. The third way to pay an agent is I get my agent friend Phil to tap up Tim, who belongs to another agent. That way, the agent is working on my behalf, not Tim's behalf, and therefore it's not a P11D benefit. And you can then then come to me. We fire the agent, or you never engage him in the first place. And when it's time for you to renegotiate your contract, you just go to the top commercial lawyer in the city of London. Because quite frankly, if you've got 35k to spend, that's what your agent is taking. You could get the top barrister in Manchester to write your contract for you. Not not an issue. So Saracens, in effect, will, will save something like three hundred and fifty thousand pounds a year on agents' fees. That, so these are the, these are the things if you want to talk about. You know, how to be smart, that's, pre- that's pretty smart. What is also smart is develop players and have the coaching quality that Saracens have had over the last however long, bring through with the yep. number of academy players they have to the yep. point where they have 1.2 million extra above the cap to spend on players because they've generated their own homegrown academy talent. Credits, homegrown. Yep. I also was lucky enough to speak to someone who does audits. Uh, I'm not going to say for who or where, but it was illuminating. So a couple of ways that you would look at who might be cheating the cap. One might be find out where a player lives and check who has the beneficial ownership of the house. So, you know, if next door was, um, you know, Danny Cipriani, for instance, it might be worth checking the land registry to see if see who owns that house. Therefore, you could, you know, so, so, that, so oh, that'd but, be one way. But hold on, haven't you already said there's nothing wrong? In any of this, or would that be... No, that would be. That would be a legitimate... Uh, that could be a breach, yeah. So yeah, that, that would definitely it, be a breach. Yeah, it depends. Does the cost of housing come in the contract? If it is no, then it is a breach. If it is a yes, then it's not a breach. Of course, you would never know. But what if it's part? What if it's uh, own, got someone else's name on it, but part of a property company? Uh, not, not an individual. Um, well, it depends... I mean, are they renting the house? Or yeah. They, you know, it's... So if, if Faz is living rent-free in a million-pound house in Harpenden or St Albans that is owned by a property company that Nigel Ray has yeah. his well, surely fingers in, th- then this, that would be an issue because that would, should come yeah. under his... Um, the, this sort of forensic-level level, uh, scrutiny will have been applied and if it hasn't it will be being applied right well, now well not so much that, that's that's, that, that's maybe I mentioned that maybe I mentioned that for a reason um, the other thing that is really interesting which I hear has been been employed before I'm not sure if it still is now is is interviews with players so I, I'm not sure if PwC are doing this now but they sit the player down and they interview a random section of players some clubs are happy it, what this happens currently used to happen Right. Um, so players have come in they get asked a few questions some players are allowed in on, on on their own I guess if you're an academy guy with just straightforward contract you'd be fine other players have to ha- would request to be uh, sat with a commercial director so you know you can tell something might be up might be up there but here is the best suggestion that I have had for opening up uh, a bit more transparency which is when a club makes an offer to a player it should be a transparent offer uh because then we'd we we could ask good questions, couldn't we? Like, why do you, Tim Cocker, not want to come to me when my offer is five hundred thousand pounds and your next offer on the contract is three hundred thousand? I want to win trophies. Fine for two hundred thousand. 
Yeah, I want to win trophies. You know, there you go. That's that, that's not going to. Yeah, but Tim, you play at Worcester. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like uh, it's the cheap, the cost of living's cheap round here. Yeah, I mean, look, you might, and you, you know, it might be fa- it might be fascinating because we we, we could call it's, it. It's like, on the it's on the M5. I can get I can get. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm equidistant between Exeter and Manchester. Uh, the, uh, the wife really <laughs> likes it here. You know, there are so many good reasons why, but at least it's sketch art for you. Like, maybe there is a premium. You know, we call it the, you know, uh, the European Champions Premium, where you as a player uh, have to take you know, a little bit, sorry, not premium, um, a discount. Yeah. A yeah. discount to work at Saracens. And maybe that's then completely, completely legitimate because everybody does it. But an open, tran- an open, Offer market would be fascinating. In NFL, everyone's uh, salaries is completely transparent. Completely yeah. transparent, and there's and in a lot of cases there's a structure to it. So if a player plays for X number of years, there's a minimum amount he yeah. will be he will be guaranteed. Yeah, I, yeah. I, so I would I would like that because it would make our conversations on whether players are value for money. You're a lot more weight behind that conversation. Um, and it would, it would certainly show if anyone was, if if there were a load of people pay, being paid a lot less than what you thought their market value would, it, well, it either would not happen for very long, or it would highlight that something is good. Yeah, or it's a bad deal. You know, yeah, we're yeah. Not, like we're holding Jed Glynn's feet to the fire and Simon Cohen's feet to the fire for bad recruiting, but we don't really know, do we? You know, we don't well, know what constraints. They, they, you know, they they were put under. You might find out that they inherited a ton of bad contracts, and actually they're doing their very best to, you know, get those guys off the payroll and re- replace them with cheaper guys. You know, yeah, you just don't know. Yeah. So it'd be an, a great way for us to analyze the game a bit more. There's obviously privacy issues too. Yeah, right? and and yeah. and the NFL is centralized. These are private companies who are all standalone. And I think what I would say is after the transgressions in the past that, that went unpunished mm-hmm. the the rules were tightened up and there are f- there is forensic level examination of everything that you can legally and legitimately see i have i, I generally have no issue with clubs looking after their players no, I'm with you. and setting them up for the future I, and can i just add this i have found and i have spoke to a lot of people this week a lot uh, ex-players, people still in the game, people, you know, uh, in executive positions, all sorts. And there has been speculation that things have been been going on in the past. No one doubts that. But I actually do think the game, financially, is pretty clean at the moment. And I I would bet my house, crikey, um, <laughs> on the clubs themselves being clean. Bet your wife's house. Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> exactly. Um, on... on the club's been clean. Now, are there some transactions by owners? I wouldn't like to say, but I, I don't think there is. I don't think there is. The tough thing is they're private individuals. Yeah. What, uh, who who are you? Uh, who who is anyone to to stop you, Jay, from from saying, Tim, I want to start a business with you? And yeah, I, I, it's yeah, I understand. Thing is they've signed up to it. You know, like lots of people are private individuals in in the you know. Uh, sorry, everyone's a private individual, but you go down a certain road. If you're a solicitor or a lawyer or a doctor or something like that, you sign up to a professional code of conduct. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, in my case, in my mm-hmm. line of work, you know, we can only charge in certain ways. And I just think if you're going to go down the route of professional rugby player in the Premiership, and the this is the group, the co- you know, this is the group and the rules that the competition have set, 
Um, well, that'll be that. And if you're found cheating, I don't really hold the player responsible. But I think the owners need to suffer a public reprimand. I think it's got to be more than financial. I think probably points, and uh, it's going to have. It's, it's all about points and reputational damage for me. So there was another bit after the Daily Mail article. There was Ryan Walkinshaw. Yes, put out a series of tweets, um, kind of suggesting some of the things that you've hinted and, at there, and, and talking that in the past. Yeah, that I think that's totally very in the past because he he never specifically said that. And I think that is quite an important piece that was missing. Yeah. Um, so he sold Gloucester in February 2016. Yeah. And he, he was talking in the past when we did know that these kind of things go on or did go on. Um, I think I'm probably with you, Jay, where based on my understanding, I think the clubs and your explanation is very, very good. The clubs are squeaky clean and there's no way the clubs could not be squeaky, squeaky clean. If someone were to do one of the routes you're suggesting, it would be very difficult yeah. for the league to find out. Now, there'd be interesting questions on probably HMRC from from exactly. me, like because income tax fraud is assessed based on people living beyond their means. Well, and if if someone's living in, if someone's if Owen Farrell's reported salary was a hundred thousand pounds and he's living in a two million pound house, but reported to who? Well, yeah. So, <laughs> so do, you, do you think there could be through, a f- yeah. like two sets of books being cooked? Well, no, because they're all they're not asking for players' tax returns. All they're asking for are the contracts and the books of the clubs, right? But Owen Farrell, Owen Farrell is not cheating. Yeah, taxes, I know. Okay, <laughs> Owen Farrell is uh, I'll meet, uh, Dave Smith, who, uh, who who plays Flyhoff for Harlequins, right? Um, he might get another million pound from an owner. And just pay the tax on it, but no one's ever going to find out because that, that's the yeah that's yeah. that's the bit that that stuff would just not be transparent. It wouldn't be transparent, but like to the league, like, but it would be completely transparent to HMRC. But the, the two wouldn't talk to one another. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not it's not integrated. Mm, interesting. Hope that's made more sense. So I'm going to make two predictions now. Where the mail is going to go next on this, just to really uh, you know uh, muddy the waters a bit. The next, uh, unless it, unless they regurgitate something which we said today which they might do I, I i don't know my guess is this is going to go the way of tax avoidance i think they're going to bring up tax avoidance next uh and i think it's gonna be low level tax avoidance in these companies and like personal service companies or something where people are taking out dividends rather than income tax so hear me now believe me later that is the next scandal that they're going to try and sell on sell on you there mm. we go see the, the guy who uh took my job at um xfm chris moyles oh. he was he, he was just found to uh to be a second-hand car salesman in in a he was he was in a, a little tax scheme oh, by second-hand cars. Was it <laughs> now? Was this the same as the Olympi- Olympians? Do you, do you know what they did? No. So the Olympians, uh, the Paralympians, when you buy a vehicle and you're disabled, you get it free of VAT if it has the right adjustments to it. So they were buying. I think the guy was like in the British archery team. He was buying fleets of Range Rovers, like with you know, pulleys in them, uh, getting a screwdriver out, getting you know, <laughs> taking the, out the pulley, yeah, yeah, saving the VAT, and then putting them back back onto the main market. <laughs> well, well, yeah, well. yeah. People went to jail. I think it was the fencing team and an archer. But, uh, apologies to British fencing and archery if that was incorrect. Agenda point three: drinking in stadiums. 
more next. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot was said uh, over the weekend. Uh, people complaining about people what, saying, excuse me, excuse me, to get to the bar during a game, saying, why would you spend 95 quid to go and watch England play only to then spend half the game at the bar? Well, okay. If you spent half the game at the bar, statistically, you could watch a whole game of rugby because ball in playtime is about 36 minutes. <laughs> so when people whinge about, oh, there's something up, I mean, the chances are if you stand up randomly in a rugby game, there's no rugby happening. So don't worry too much about that. It's just another thing to whinge about. And I, I like to think about this the same way as I think about vegetarians. Uh, and that is to say that you don't need many vegetarians in an office for when you know, the office party comes along that half the pizzas in the office are now vegetarian pizzas. No one eats them, no one does anything, but it only takes a small amount of people to ruin it for everyone. So this drinking thing... I, I, got, I, got, I got told off for... Uh, um, sent... Uh, what was it? There was, like, se- just a couple of seeds on the top of a roll. Like I said, the kids to, to school... Uh-oh, uh, was someone uh, peanut intolerant? Well, yeah, or, or, or like they were worried that seeds. So, like, you know, there was a couple of poppy seeds, and there might have been a, a sesame seed on the top of this, like just a couple on the top of this bun. I sent them in their sandwich, and they, I, I got a, yeah, I, so got, I got hauled over the hauled over the coals for daring to have dare have a bun you, you with a couple of seeds on top. <laughs> Absolute monster! So it's almost H- like hummus you... as well. You can't have hummus in in my in our school. How do the middle classes survive? I know, better? I know exactly. <laughs> um, right. Uh, yeah, so it's not going to take many people to ruin this. I do, I do understand why, by the way, I was jesting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, forget it. I know if you have a but, serious sesame seed intolerance, I understand it's an issue. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't go to the games to watch the rugby. I don't remember anything which has happened in many games, unless I'm there to actually watch rugby as a, you know, a member of, quote-unquote, the press at Sale Shark or something. I'm not watching rugby. I'm there to enjoy the event, enjoy the day, Watching rugby is secondary to actually the experience of being there. Does anyone disagree with that? Um, I do enjoy watching the rugby, but I'm there for everything. So if I miss a few minutes of action, I don't mind too much. No, I'm I'm there for the the event and the day. So um, the... and and it is a day. It is uh, getting some lovely little nibbles from M and S. Yeah, for the train and yep. and a few tins for the train. It's a couple in the pubs beforehand. Yes, it's a couple of Guinnesses during the game and some of those very expensive pork scratchings at Twickenham. <laughs> and uh, and then it's more drinks afterwards. So, but yeah, I, I I can understand if you were sat in front of someone who was relentlessly, like, say, two, three, or we'll say four times in a game, getting up and going, like... I mean, that's four on, pints. On, on four mass. Pints. Yeah, four pints in a, in a game. That's is, good, is going. good going. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. But if it's someone going in the middle of the first half to get a pint, going for a wee after 50 minutes, oh, come on. I I, look, let the boys and, play and, and there, there, yeah. there will be stories of people getting too drunk and spilling a pint on someone or of course so, and, so, and, and that is always it's going to be annoying if you have a pint spilt in your lap by some drunken oaf that will be very but it very happens annoying. you know you, it's you can't yeah but you, you can't for the, for every one of those stories you can't ban people drinking <laughs> pints yeah. i would be furious i think it's the most petty uh ridiculous campaign that i've come across now I will I'll give you two compromises. Have one part of the stadium sectioned off. Yeah, fun zone. Yeah, the yeah, the fun zone where you guys can go 
and watch the uh, uh, and watch the game, and maybe they can sell you a pencil sharpener with the ticket. So you know you can sharpen your pencil and take notes if that's what you enjoy. <laughs> right? You can do that. That's, that's fine. The other compromise. So I'll that's make, the ironically named fun zone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the other compromise that I would make is you bring me the beer, right? <laughs> so instead of me getting up, bring me the beer. But what I will not say is I do not want the bars closed during the game. And the other part of this is, why is it if I bought a box, I can have a beer at my leisure? Whereas because I'm sitting next next to Mr. Mr. Grumpy, who wants the bar closed until half time, um, why is it then that uh, I can't have a beer? And also, do we want everyone plowing towards the bar at... You know, at half time and then all coming back late, you'll just make the problem worse. What? It's a ridiculous idea. They quite at the cricket. They have the people going around with those huge things on their back, with yeah. the, and they just fill up your drinks at your seat. And mm. Italy was the same actually. They had um, they had like a cool box. Yeah. So no, it's. Um, I will say I was the the Scotland Wales game. A mate of mine WhatsApp me and it, who goes to watch. He's a Chelsea season ticket holder, and he said, "I love rugby." And he sent me a picture, and it was it was just a screenshot off the telly, and it was like you you saw a line out, and behind you saw like ten fans all in a row, and they all had two bottles of beer in their hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. Go back up, Dean. <laughs> but you're not even allowed to in football. You're not even allowed to be within sight of the yeah. pitch with any alcohol. No, not even corporate. You can't. No. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, you can't see. You can't be in a position where you can look at the pitch and, and have drink any, and have any. Alcohol. I do actually like the idea there. Well, do I like the idea? Basically, it's the same rule for everyone. You know, yeah. corporate or what have you. You can't drink and watch this game. I'm not sure. I want. Well, do I want to? Maybe pay, maybe pay enough. You can do what you want. I, don't know. <laughs> I wonder if. I wonder if. And we like to talk about the values of rugby. I wonder whether this is partly that maybe the experience of the way that people behave at rugby games has maybe changed slightly in the last little I while. I it has changed a little bit because, you know, not everything back in the day was, you know, as good as it is now. So I would hope it had modernised. No, there no, is- no, I, I meant, in, I meant in, in the other sense. I meant that traditionally, in the way we always think of crowds of rugby fans is they, they will sink a load of drinks because that's just part of the day. Yep. But they will always stay good humoured, respectful, to a degree. Always the odd idiot. Don't get me wrong, and that was always the case. It was, but generally speaking, when I think of rugby crowds and alcohol, I think good humoured, respectful, fun, not crossing the line. But what I'm saying is, if there are lines being crossed more often, mm. and that's and that's been part mm. of why people are starting to change the story. I, I don't know. I think there's an element as well of. If you're determined to get annoyed about this, you'll be looking out for that more than you'll be looking out for the game. So if you're really upset about people getting up, if that's your chief bugbear, you know you will count 50 people, whereas I will count none. And that's what's happening. And it's part of this moralising of the game. Rugby values. Rugby values means whatever you've decided rugby values means in order to reinforce your yeah. point, depending on what topic you're talking about right now. And I, I can... That's all I, I don't... Other than... Um, other than uh, left-handed drinking, I don't really know what a rugby value is. <laughs> <laughs> I can uh, I can relate this to gigs slightly, which is obviously something you know. Big, you know, you've been to tons of gigs I, yourself. I love you, a good gig, yeah, <laughs> it's true. Uh, but th- there are you can tell there are some people that go to a, a gig, and it's certain types of bands and stuff that you'll go and see that get people that aren't used to go into gigs, and they get annoyed with you when you squeeze past them to get in front of them. But basically, the rule is. Uh, 
at a concert at a gig. It's, a, it's fair game. Whether someone jumps up and down to get past you or whether someone just pushes past, says, excuse me, and just goes in. It's fair game, free for all. If you can get closer to the stage than me, go for it. Is that how it works? Yeah. Sounds, oof, sounds carnage. Yeah, yeah. It, well, yeah, and that's why, you know, more and more I retreat towards the back and watch from a safe <laughs> distance. Yeah. You're not moshing these days, Tim. <laughs> not these days, mate. I've got a good friend called CJ who, in his youth, loved to mosh. And <laughs> <laughs> um, he sends us these videos. What for me? It's good rugby training. You just take the, the Tock H forwards down. I remember to a death metal gig. I remember going to um, Teen the Park about probably 12, 13 years ago, and Prodigy were on. Oh my on goodness. The Sunday, and I did some moshing then. <laughs> that was good. That was <laughs> very, very drunk on a Sunday night. Just, so, just drunk? Just drunk. Yeah. So I'm saying more Negronis in stadiums, I think, if you don't want to. <laughs> you know. And by the way, you are in no. No position to tell me I'm not a real rugby fan because I enjoy drinking at stadiums. No position. Anyone who does is a moron. The moron. <laughs> but let's let's be respectful of those people that that don't like it and are, are part, I don't know what to do about that. A part of the ground. A part of the ground. Yeah, I mean, the, the fun do... zone. Get it done. Yeah, yeah, fun zone. Let's let's get the fun zone and we'll put badges on them so we know know not to talk, talk to them in public. <laughs> <laughs> Even if I wasn't drinking, I would. I pretend to drink. I would want to be around a bunch of rugby fans that are merry. The, yeah, some of the, quite often the chat, the banter between groups yeah. of fans and stuff is like, like, I, I like you're right. I we, pay very little attention yeah. to the game for chunks of it. Yeah, uh, how did we do it for the repertoire? As three of us, um, I don't remember the game. What was the score? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. Um, we did it respectful way, which we went and bought a jug every time, so we didn't have to go, go, get up too often. You know, it's fine. It's particularly if you're in a round of drinks or so on so forth. So, uh, yeah, we've canned that. Let's not bring it back, please. It's done. It's over. Right. Any other business? Final section. I'd just like to say, you know how when they change the clocks, as they will be doing soon, mm-hmm. is it like next weekend or something? The weekend after? When yeah. we lose yeah. an end, end of end, end of March. Spring forward. Yeah. Why don't they do that? Instead of at 2 a.m., why don't they do it at like 4 p.m. on a Friday? Oh, that's smart. Wouldn't that be better? Everyone would love it. Yeah. Like suddenly, Hang on. home time. Is that how it'd work? Yeah, well, so, so when, it, when it springs forward, it, you, it would be at 4pm. Nice. Right, let's, yes. go, let's go home. That's a vote winner. <laughs> I would run as an independent group MP on, on that. <laughs> you have more substance in policy than they've currently got. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Uh, that's, that's some good any, any other business. I wonder if I have any other that. No, I don't. Me neither. Excellent. Right, wrap us up, Tim. Let's go home. Right. Uh, subscribe, follow, listen, share. Let the boys play. Let the boys play. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 